Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Welcome to this week's AgCast. Uh, I'm Mitt Walker with Alabama Farmers Federation, and today we are very pleased to have Todd Stacy join us uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Alabama political arena and particularly about how um, the new Congress and the new administration is going to affect farmers in rural Alabama. Todd, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself for those that may not know you. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I have you know, been around politics basically my entire career. I spent about 15 years working in um, state government and also on the Hill in Congress, but left that world about uh, three years ago to start a news business, Alabama Daily News, which we cover uh, the legislature, the political scene here in Alabama, and uh, our delegation in Congress. So still uh, have a, a foot in that world as well. Very good. Well, thanks again for, for being with us. I think um, one of the things I wanted to kind of get into right out of the gate is um, the makeup of the 117th uh, Congress is very different than what we've seen in modern times. It's a uh, razor-thin majority uh uh, in the House for the Democrats, and in the Senate, it's literally a 50-50 split with the vice president serving as tiebreaker. Talk talk to folks about kind of what that means for the prospects of legislation and maybe some of those dynamics. Mm-hmm. Well, you, well, you nailed it. It's razor thin. In fact, it hasn't been this close in a long, long time, especially in both houses. So in the Senate, I guess we can start there. Right, it's a 50-50 split. Vice President uh, Kamala Harris breaks the tie. That effectively made Chuck Schumer the majority leader. Um, that gives them the the you know they, they hold sway on what legislation moves. Um, they uh, they control the agenda. Um, but what Republicans did, uh, Mitch McConnell uh, being the minority leader now, they negotiated a power sharing agreement. Uh, saying, hey, you know, yes, you're the majority, Democrats are the majority, we understand that, but we have an equal number of senators, uh, and so they, they were able to strike a deal where they'll have equal representation for Republicans and Democrats on committees. And that's a big deal, especially for states like Alabama, um, in that, you know, we got more committee chairs, or I'm sorry, more committee seats, uh, more representation on committees. So uh, another part of that dynamic was, um, or that deal was that the Democrats were not going to pursue ending the filibuster. You'd heard a lot of talk about, um, you know, they wanted to end the filibuster. And what that means is usually um, for legislation to pass the Senate, uh, you know, it has to have at least 60 senators vote to allow it to proceed. They don't have to vote for the bill, but they have to allow it to proceed to cut off debate, 60 votes. Um, And so that obviously stops a lot of legislation from passing because, you know, it's hard to get 60 votes on things. Um, but they did not pursue that. Uh, they did not pursue ending the filibuster. I think they were wise to do that because it, it sounds good when you're in power, right, to say, hey, we can ram anything through with, with 51 votes. But the minute you're out of power, the other party can do the same thing. So it kind of preserves a tradition of, you know, it's hard to pass legislation in the Senate. So I look for the Senate, um, most of what comes through there. Uh, to be to have at least some bipartisan support. Not everything. I mean, they're going to do this reconciliation package for um, the COVID relief package uh, that that could pass with 51 votes. But most bills um, are going to have to have that 60 vote threshold, meaning they're going to have to have at least some Republican support. So 
I, I, I look for it to be a little bit bipartisan going forward. And the House, uh, you know, 12 seats, and it could be closer than that because some of these vacancies are out there. Uh, that is that is crazy thin in a 435-member body. Um, they're, they're not going to have the same power-sharing agreement. They're not going to have, you know, bipartisan kumbaya. But what that what that uh, margin does is, especially with if you think about the majority, the Democrats, and the dynamic in that party right now, there is so much um, – the liberal wing of that party has so much more influence, and they're going to push their agenda. And so Speaker Nancy Pelosi has to be careful not to – um, you know, alienate them because if she loses, you know, 12 or 11 votes, then they they can't pass bills. So I think that's going to be interesting going forward to see how the the majority, the Democrats, balance the liberal wing of the party with the more pragmatic wing. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. I wanted to take a few minutes, too, and talk about um, kind of what do the what does the new Congress, what do these changes mean for farmers in Alabama? Um, you talked a lot about the, the top-line issues and, uh, you know, looking at the Senate side of things, um, Pat Roberts retired this year. Pat Roberts was a longtime chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, uh, probably knew more about farm programs than any member of the Senate. He is no longer there. Um, with the elections in Georgia, the way they turned out and the 50-50 split you talked about, Senator Stabenow from uh, Michigan will be chairing the committee. Um, she's had a lot of experience. She served in this role before. Um, but certainly, you know, we'll look at agriculture from a little different perspective than, than folks from the South would. Senator Bozeman from Arkansas will be our uh, ranking member on the Republican side and uh, excited about his role and what he can do. And I think he and, and Senator Stabenow will be able to work together to, to move things forward. Similar situation on the House side. Colin Peterson was defeated from Minnesota this year. Um, he was kind of the, the dean, if you will, of the, the Democrats on ag policy, had been around a long, long time. Long time. Great advocate for farmers. Uh, he has moved along. And uh, also Mike Conaway from Texas, the most recent chairman of the, the House Ag Committee. So as we look at kind of how these committees are, are shaking up now, Coach Tuberville from Alabama will be a new addition to the Senate Ag Committee. He has spent a lot of time getting to know our farmers and, and understands the, the needs that are there. But on the other hand, you have uh, folks like Cory Booker coming onto the Ag Committee for the first time, an urban uh, New Jersey senator. Um, he definitely has a, a different agenda than, than most folks on the committee, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that all plays out. Yeah, um, and cannot emphasize enough the importance of Tuberville landing that seat. I know it was his top priority to say, um, you know, if I can get on anything, I've got to get on ag. He talked to me about that before. I know he's probably talked to y'all. So, so to see that appointment come through or that uh, assignment come through was really good, and it it really matters to have a seat at the table. I mean, I mean, every member of Congress it will eventually have to vote uh, on a on a farm bill. I guess it's, we're looking at 2023. For a farm bill, but having a seat on the committee, having input uh, during that markup process, and really before the bill is even written, uh, when they're just you know going through what needs are there, having a seat at the table is important. So Tobril getting on that committee is big. Barry Moore 
getting on the committee in the House is also big. Anybody who has sat through those markups, those farm bill markups that can go all night long, uh, it takes um, patience, it takes skill, and it takes a commitment to know, all right, I've got to stand up here and I've got to make sure I get my amendments. Uh, and, and, and we've had a tradition of Alabama members really standing up for Alabama farmers. I expect that to continue with uh, Tuberville and, and Barry Moore. You're right. Uh, it's going to be different with Democratic leadership, especially you know some urban things. A lot, a lot of folks forget that um, the the nutrition side of the farm bill, uh, you know, food stamps, uh, nutrition assistance. That's a big part of it, and um, a lot of times Democrats want it to be a bigger part of it, and there can be some some disagreements there. So I, I expect those to happen, but I, I don't, you know, typically. Um, they find a way at the end of the day to make the farm bill bipartisan. I expect that uh, eventually they'll get there this time too. Yeah, yeah. 2023 sounds like a long time away, but the groundwork will start being laid uh, probably as soon as this fall as yeah. we look to the next farm bill. So. And I remember those days, Matt, when y'all would, I mean, y'all, you would come to our office, I mean, so often. And and I think people need to realize this, and I don't want to you know, blow smoke, but people need to realize y'all spend so much time educating members of Congress. A typical member of Congress, typical senator, has a ton of work to do, and their staff has a ton of work to do. So we depend on the Farmers Federation, or when I was working up there, to, to educate us on exactly what is going on. So it's invaluable what y'all do uh, for, for the members. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and, and that is one thing that I, I do tell new members of Congress and staff as they come on board. We do want to be a resource for you guys, um, you know, for, for when you're a staffer and you're you're covering everything from veterans affairs to tax policy to farm policy, it gets difficult balancing mm-hmm. all those issues. And we do want to be a resource. I also tell folks we don't always have the answers, but we know people that we can get answers <laughs> from. That's one thing we pride ourselves on here is relationships and being able to get good information to people. Yeah, and y'all certainly have that on the Hill. And, and uh, I can't go without mentioning uh, Tuberville hired Mike Alvarez, who I worked with, and he's a close friend of mine as a as an ag staffer, and that's gonna that's gonna make a difference. He'll have an informed um, legislative staff. Yep, absolutely. I talked with Mike yesterday, and actually I got to spend a little time with Coach Tuberville. Um, we're working on getting a meeting together with Congressman Moore for our farmers to visit with him. Of course, he grew up on a farm. He's from the Wiregrass. I think he brings a lot of uh, credibility to the table right out of the gate and uh, understands the issues in the wiregrass, and and we're just excited about him. And really, you know, Todd, if you look at the committee assignments kind of moving away from from just agriculture but the state as a whole, our guys landed in some really good spots this year. Um, You you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, just thinking about Tuberville, I, I don't know about you, but I was kind of surprised that he had such an impressive committee hall. I expected him to get I expected him to get ag and maybe armed services. I did not expect, you know, help. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I did not expect Veterans Affairs. I mean, he got on four uh, committees that really mean a lot uh, and con- and control a lot. You start with armed services. Um, we have many, uh, not just military bases, but, uh, in, you know, not just the installations, but uh, contractors, programs that depend, uh, that run around the military. And so having a seat at that at that table is important. Uh, we've traditionally had that. Uh, Sessions, Jeff Sessions was that guy for a long time on armed services in the Senate. So it was, it's really good uh, that Tuberville picked that up. But also Veterans Affairs. Look, you know, it's a tough issue. The Veterans Affairs, it, it's a tough 
world because uh, you know it's no secret that that agency has a lot of you know has had a lot of problems but you can help a lot of people uh, individually on that so I thought that was that was really good we of course have Shelby as um, still on appropriations you're not going to be chairman anymore um, so for, for the next two years the last two years of his term he's going to be ranking member but that, that that's not as good as being chairman but I'll say this he treated the minority he treated Pat Leahy from Vermont, who was ranking member, really well uh, during um, the, the last two years, the last three years, and I think that's going to make a difference. I think uh, Leahy will remember that, and I, I don't, I don't expect us to really have a drop off in terms of Shelby being on appropriations. I would agree with that 100 percent, and um, you know, Senator Shelby has done such a, a magnificent job over the years of bringing home those priority projects for the state, whether it's the Port of Mobile, which has a huge impact on agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do think that relationship will be very positive moving forward, and uh, we, we expect, you know, good things to come. Yeah, and, and don't forget also Robert Adderholt. So Congressman Adderholt, who uh, he's got as much seniority on the Appropriations Committee as anybody now, or at least on the Republican side. Uh, there's a chance he could run for chairman uh, in four years. If, um, if if Republicans take back the House, so uh, he's he's going to be ranking member of Commerce, Justice, and Science. That's big uh, for Alabama, especially in the northern part of the state, with NASA, uh, with the FBI moving to Huntsville. So um, it's you know we've, we've talked a lot about how it's going to be sad to see Shelby. You know we're going to lose a lot of influence and seniority when Shelby retires. But Adderholt's got a lot too, and he's going to kind of become the the appropriations leader for the state, and we need that. You know, yep. smaller states like Alabama need to punch above their weight, um, you know, on appropriations to you know to compete with the likes of Florida and Texas and uh, California and New York. Right. Well, Congressman Adderholt has done a great job in that role. Um, he did serve as chairman of the Ag Appropriations Subcommittee for several years, and uh, you mentioned moving on to a, a different role, but he does still serve on that subcommittee, just not chairman. And he's extremely knowledgeable. He's one of the go-to guys on ag issues there with uh, other people on the Hill come to his office to, to find out what's going on. So uh does a great job. You talked about um, Senator Tuberville being on armed services and you know, Mike Rogers is now ranking member on the House Armed Services Committee, and that's, again, a really big deal for the state. It is. I was so excited to see that. And, you know, he's he's paid his dues. Mike Rogers has, you know, been in Congress since uh, 2002, and he has paid his dues uh, and, and, and waited his turn. Um, he's a, he's an, uh, a well-educated, well-informed member of that committee. So that what ranking member means, of course, is the highest Republican because they're in the minority. So if Republicans take the House back next year or, or whenever, uh, that means he would become chairman. And having a chairman of armed services just could be so beneficial for this state. I know a lot of people are, are excited about uh, Mike Rogers, and, and it's well-earned. He deserves it. Sure, sure. And that affects everything from the military bases to uh, Space Force potentially coming to Huntsville, which is uh, something that, that Congressman Rogers has advocated for. Yeah, that's for. his baby, kind of, and, yep. and it's interesting to see he'll he'll have a role in that. Yep. Well, just to touch on a couple of others, um, you know, Congresswoman Sewell is our um, lone Democrat uh, from the House delegation. She serves on a big committee. Ways and Means Committee is another one that really has a direct impact on farmers. Um, they have oversight over trade. 
uh, which is extremely critical to the agricultural industry and uh, also taxes. Um, we've talked about things like the death tax forever here at the Alabama Farmers Federation, and she is in a very key position not only with her committee assignment, but also she has built a lot of seniority in the in the party, and uh, mm-hmm. she's she's one of the leaders now on the Democrat side of the aisle. It's funny how time passes because you know she's been in Congress for I guess 12 years now, or going on 12 years, and yeah, they're they're not freshman anymore she's she's a leader she's a senior member of the of the democratic leadership uh, and that's that's great for our state to have somebody of that influence ways and means is a committee that so many people try to get on because it is so influential and you're right about trade i nobody talks about it because it's it's not really in the news every day like so many other things but we're not finished with trade policy we're not you know this is an evolving thing the situation with china uh, and and you know so I think that's going to be a big deal. We have a new administration. Um, I think one thing I'll, I'll say, and I, you know, Congresswoman Sewell, uh, you know, has, has she does such a good job of building relationships and listening to folks. And our delegation, um, I, I remember when it was the Obama administration. Uh, you know, she played such a key role in communicating with the Obama administration because the rest of everybody was Republicans. And maybe didn't have that relationship, um, and so there were many times that Republicans would go to her and say, "Okay, we really need this," and she could she could speak, you know, on Alabama issues to the administration better maybe than the Republicans could. That's a that's a big deal, and um, maybe an. Uh, should should be talked about more because it, it's 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 really helpful. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and speaking of party leadership, um, I think one thing that goes unnoticed a lot too, Congressman Palmer, um, in his role as chairman of the policy committee for um, the House Republicans, you know, he's at the seat with uh, with the Republican side leadership. He's there negotiating their strategy moving forward, and uh, he's really ascended into a pretty key position too. He has. It's been interesting to watch uh, and. Uh, you're right. When you're on that leadership team, um, you have a seat at the table for the agenda. And so the policy committee, they're like the ideas, you know, come up with ideas. And so he, he runs a shop that's coming up with bill ideas or, you know, and that, that's really interesting and a good place for him uh, considering his, his background. But uh, also his uh, he's now on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which, again, is a huge committee with far reaching uh, influence. Healthcare policy, energy policy, all that goes through energy and commerce, um, and so you know, in his uh, and and banking for that matter, and so uh, in his um, district that includes Birmingham, that's going to be a big deal, especially the healthcare industry. Yep, and I guess uh, kind of rounding out one of the other new guys to our delegation this year is Jerry Carl from down in the uh, Mobile area, represents Southwest Alabama. Um, Jerry landed a couple of really uh, key committees as well that's going to be important to his part of the district um, or his part of the state, armed services as well as natural resources. Um, I remember Bradley Byrne telling me years ago that when the speaker would see him coming, he would want to know, was he there to talk about the ships or the fish? And uh, <laughs> that sounds about right. Congressman Carl is in a good spot to uh, kind of carry on that fight over red snapper seasons and also to ensure that those literal combat ships continue to be built at Austell. Absolutely. Armed services, we've talked about it, it's key. And, and, and for that district to, to maintain that seat is a big deal. And I'll tell you what, red snapper, I mean, it, it sounds like, um, when you when you talk about it, it sounds like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's it's livelihoods down there, and so um, 
Bradley Byrne was a was a great advocate for those issues, and I expect the same from Jerry Carl. Yeah, I think he's going to be a, a rising star for sure, and uh, he's also very close to uh, the farming community there from his time as a county commissioner. So um, we're we're looking forward to working with him, and know he's going to be a strong advocate for that part of the state and and the farmers in that part of the state. Well, let me ask you, Matt. Um, I mentioned y'all coming up to D.C. because. Now, I was a congressional staffer, and you all know, walk in the door, and, and you have a meeting with a member of Congress and, and all this and present us with the information that we need. Well, I'm not there anymore, so treat me like I'm a congressional staffer. What what issues are you all coming to D.C. Uh, to talk about? What What's on your plate? Yeah, thank you, Todd. I, I appreciate you asking that. You know, I think when you talk to anybody that's following ag policy in D.C. right now, the buzzword is climate change and uh, carbon capture and those types of, of efforts. Um, one thing that we're really trying to help people understand is that um, farmers have been in the climate change and carbon capture business for a long time before this became a, a buzzword. Um, farmers have always been part of the solution. Um, we know that there are going to be some programs that are pushed by the administration and Congress. Uh, the things that, that we would say about that is we, we want them to be voluntary and they need to be incentive-based to be successful. We don't want uh, you know punitive-type programs or, or regulatory approach to this. I think it'll be a more successful endeavor if we look at it through that lens. And um, there's some opportunities there. Um, I hope USDA will take into account some of the programs that are already on the books and try to see how that affects carbon capture as opposed to going out and recreating the wheel and, and chasing some ideas that may not be as successful. Well, what do you all think about the administration uh, and, and their approach? You got uh, Secretary Vilsack coming back, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, I think uh, you know Secretary Vilsack is is a known quantity. Um, he has worked well with the ag community over the years. I am a little concerned about some of the other names that I'm hearing floated around for some of the undersecretaries or that type of thing. Um, you know, what we don't want to happen is USDA to become an activist type agency. We've seen that before, unfortunately, at EPA and some of the other federal agencies. OSHA. Yeah, and again, we want we want to sit at the table. We want to work with the the administration and the folks in charge to try to advance good policy for farmers. Um, we talked about the importance of trade while ago. We've got to continue to open up uh, markets for our farmers around the world. We talked about the farm bill coming up. Uh, those discussions will be starting this year. We've also, you know, 2020 was another year that uh, farmers were impacted by hurricanes in Alabama. So there's not a um, disaster package out there yet. That's something we'll be working on early in this Congress to make sure that there's some assistance there to help them um, kind of get through some of those losses that were induced by the hurricanes Sally and Zeta. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about crop insurance because it seems to me that, I mean, that was a big change. Um, you know, going to the, the crop insurance, and it took a while for people to kind of figure it out. Do you do you see that staying the same, or do you think they're going to try to change it again? I think crop insurance is is always evolving. I, I think um, you know, I would give an example. This past year was the first year that RMA offered a hurricane endorsement. So, in addition to your typical underlying policy, you could buy up coverage that would cover hurricane damage. We're actually going to be talking with them about maybe building upon that to pick up tropical storm force winds. Um, okay. For the folks listening that don't know, cotton is one of the crops in Alabama that's extremely susceptible to uh, wind and water damage. 
as, as we get late in the harvest season. So we're, we're going to continue to look at ideas like that. Um, I think the key is just to continue to be innovative, creative. It's got to be actuarially sound. It's got to be affordable. But I think there, there are some opportunities there. And um, lastly, I would just throw out, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a few minutes about ag uh, labor and the issues that farmers continue to face with finding people to work on the farms. Uh, farming's hard work, it's long hours, and uh, unfortunately sometimes we're just not able to find that local labor source. Um, I think with the start of this Congress, we're already hearing a lot of talk about immigration and immigration reform. One of the things we're going to be watching very closely is whether or not immigration reform also includes ag labor reform. and. Uh, Hopefully we can get a program in place that's a little less cumbersome than the H-2A program and some of the other ones that are out there, but a lot of work to do on that front. That's really interesting, and, and you know, in the, in the immigration debate, that really doesn't get talked about enough, uh, and the, just the needs that are there, so that, that's really interesting. Well, thanks, man. I uh, feel like I'm back on the hill listening to, you know, you, you educate us about what, everything that's going on. Well, Todd, I really appreciate you coming in today. Um I was afraid we'd have a hard time getting all of this into uh, a, a quick segment today, but it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for, for what you do to educate all Alabamians about what's going on in the public policy world, and we appreciate your friendship, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate yours as well. All right. And now, your weekly Ag Cash wrap-up. Many equestrian events across the country were altered by COVID-19 over the past year. However, I'm excited to announce that the Alabama State 4-H Horse Show is scheduled to take place in person this upcoming April 23rd through the 25th in Montgomery. If you or a young person you know loves riding horses, this is a great way to compete and meet new people within the equine industry. Events for youth ages 9 through 18 include classes for Western and Ranch, English, Dressage, Timed Events, as well as educational opportunities like hippology, speeches, creative writing, and photography. Registration is open now under the Alabama 4-H website and will close Friday, April 2nd. Please note that the show will be limited to 75 youth each day to comply with social distancing, so the earlier you register, the better. If you have any questions, please call your county extension office or visit the link found in our show notes for rules and other important information. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast. AgCast.